Amanda, remember that time the greatest Christmas movie ever was a box office flop? that time in historical podcast i'm your host amanda webb and i'm your host anna webb and this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all their favorite moments in history and we're separated again oh my god <laughs> i was just thinking while we were setting up our recording like it's been a while since we've done it like this and it feels kind of weird yeah it does feel kind of weird because we recorded together we took a break we recorded together again Man. Yeah. And our next one we will record together. Yes, that's true. So it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. So but we're in different rooms this time. Yeah, in my usual home setup, which I haven't been in in a while. Um, so yeah, here we are. It's still December. Um, in the Christmas spirit over here in my house. Um, would you Same like here. would you like a drink update on that note? Yes. I'm having some hot chocolate. Oh, lovely. Yeah. I'm drinking water. As per usual. As per usual. My gosh, this hot chocolate is really good also. Like, let me just can I go on a little bit of a hot chocolate rant for a second? Okay. Okay, when you buy hot chocolate mix and then you try to make it with non-dairy milk, which I do because I don't drink regular milk, it never works out (laughs) because it doesn't integrate into the milk properly. Right. But I have this Trader Joe's mix. You know, we love TJ's here on this Mm -hmm. podcast, and it has certainly integrated better than any other mix I've tried. Excellent. So that's just a hot tip from me to you if you're also a non-dairy milk drinker. Nice. All right. So now that we've gone through that. (laughs) <laughs> should we do the podcast yeah 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 let's uh let's podcast okay great so continuing our theme of sort of holiday media icons uh, sure <laughs> yes if you will a sort of haphazard theme uh-huh. uh, today we're going to talk about jimmy stewart oh boy so let's do it James Maitland Stewart, by the way, that's the only time I'm going to call him James, uh-huh. uh, is born on May 20th, 1908 in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which is not far from where I am in Pittsburgh. It's like mm-hmm. an hour-ish outside of Pittsburgh. Nice. His parents are Elizabeth and Alexander Stewart. Um, he is the oldest of three children. He's the only boy. Mm-hmm. Um, he has two younger sisters, Mary and Virginia. And his father runs the family business, which is the J.M. Stewart and Company hardware store. Um, Jimmy's grandfather had opened this store and then handed it down to Jimmy's father. And so his father thought that he would continue the tradition and go to Princeton and then come back and run the store. Which is like, huh. why go to Princeton then, I guess? Yeah. Not that... Not that it wouldn't be useful in running a business, but like it's such a, it seems like a very lofty. <laughs> yeah, it's in the in, in this time too. It's like you would only really go there for like a medical degree or, or something to be a lawyer or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. 
Um, so that was his father's idea. Um, his mother is a pianist. Hmm. Um, so music is very important in their household. And I liked this little blurb. Um, when a customer at the store was unable to pay his bill, Stuart's father accepted an old accordion as payment. Stuart learned to play the instrument with the help of a local barber. That's delightful. So lots of little delightful things in uh-huh. Jimmy Stewart's life. Oh, also, let me just say right now while we're still near the top. Um, Jimmy Stewart was in so many films like a stupid amount of films so there is no possible way i'm gonna go through all of them so if you're listening to this and you're like wow they glossed over some of my most favorite jimmy stewart films i'm sorry there are just so many and i need to hit the higher points of the story (laughs) so okay back to it so jimmy stewart is a pretty shy kid um, he would just kind of work on model airplanes. Um, he liked chemistry. He really wanted to be a pilot. Huh. Charles Lindenberg was his hero. Oh, okay. Sure. Um, so that's kind of generally his childhood. In 1923, he starts attending, um, Mercersburg Academy Prep School, which is in Mercersburg, so he's not at home. He's living away from home. Mm-hmm. Um, because his dad thinks that he won't get into Princeton if he attends a public school. Okay. So dad's really, really into this. Yeah, he's pretty into idea. the Princeton thing. Yeah. Um, while he is at this high school, he runs track. He's the art editor of the yearbook. Um, he's a member of the Glee Club. Oh, oh my God. He's a, yeah. He's kind. That's that's what you missed on Glee. (laughs) That's what you missed on Glee. It was Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Um. He was he was like an average student, but he was like active in extracurriculars and stuff. Um. This is also where he makes his first on stage appearance. Ah, of course. Um. As Bouquet, I think. Um. In the play The Wolves. Um. In 1928. Um, And then during his breaks, he would go home to Indiana, Pennsylvania, and he would work. He worked for a while as a brick loader and also as a magician's assistant. What is his life? (laughs) I don't know. This is delightful. It is delightful. It also just kind of feels like, sure, that's what people did in the early 1900s. Of course. Yeah. Just casually were magician's assistants. I mean, it's not a bad gig, I guess. I guess. Um, he also, in 1927, has a bout of scarlet fever, um, oh. which gives him a kidney infection. So he yeah. has to take some time away from school, um, and his graduation gets delayed until 1928. Sure. So he does graduate in 28, and he enrolls in Princeton, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Oh, shocking. Um, he majors in architecture. Um, and he's also a member of the Princeton Charter Club, which is like, I don't know, I didn't look too far into that. But while he's at college, he takes an interest in what? What could it be? Drama. That's right. Of course. Um, so I'm not going to go too much. There's not a ton about his college career, um, but he graduates in 1932 and when he graduates he's actually given a scholarship for graduate studies in architecture for his thesis on an airport terminal design 
oh my gosh, he just seems like a very like smart and well-rounded gentleman. Yes. So he was like actually quite good at this. Right. Um, but instead he decides to join uh, the university players, um, which is like an intercollegiate summer company. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go to perform in West Mount, West Falmouth, Massachusetts. So on Cape Cod, and he goes there with them instead. Wow. Cool. Um, so during that next summer, he helps to prepare a show for Broadway with the Fallmouth players. Cool. And when the show goes to New York, he goes with them. Of course. And so from this, he makes his Broadway debut in the play Carrie Nation, um, which had a very brief run. And then he also appeared in... Um, a comedy called Goodbye Again, which also had a pretty brief run. He only had like a walk-on line, but he oh. he was like kind of the hit of the show, right? He played right. a chauffeur and he comes on, he does his line, and then the whole audience is like, oh, that's the play, you know? <laughs> that's it. That's the show. Right. Um. So that show only runs for about seven months. And when it closes, he actually takes a job as a stage manager in Boston. Cool. But he's not very good at it. He gets fired because he misses his cues a lot. Less cool. <laughs> hey, it's tough. It is tough. You did. I just, you did. I just assistant stage managed a production of Nut Nutcracker. It's for hard children. Work. Yeah, with for children. children. Yeah, it's, it's hard, hard work. work. I'm saying it's probably harder work with children. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. Um, and I didn't even do the cues. I just did a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Yeah. So he, he was not great at that. Um, I'm sorry. I did get some chocolate all over my face just now when I took it. Way to go, champ. <clears throat> so much for it mixing in well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay. So after his brief time in Boston, he goes back to New York. After the war, yep. I went back to New York. I was waiting for Can it. Can I tell you, that was completely subconscious. I only half registered <laughs> the words that came out of your mouth, and I just said it. I was typing up the notes for this, and there's a point later where the phrase after the war comes up, and I thought in my brain, oh, Amanda's going to go after the war. I went back to New York, but he doesn't go back to New York. So. Gotcha. <laughs> but here, he does. And okay. then he starts landing some more small roles on stage. He is in Spring and Autumn and All Good Americans, and neither of those plays are successful. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, you know, you were joking about him being in a lot, a lot, a lot of movies and like, you know, here he is in a million little tiny shows, but like, this is how most very famous actors start. Oh, yeah. Just like, in a million unsuccessful shows until something lands, like, that's just how it goes. And he's not even like a quote unquote trained actor, like he did not go to school for acting. Uh -uh. So he's kind of lucking into a lot of it. Yeah, really. I mean, well, not lucking into it. He's just kind of naturally good at it. Um, Okay, so then in 1934, he gets a lead role in the show Yellow Jack. Um, He plays a soldier who becomes the subject of a yellow fever experiment. Huh. I thought that was interesting. Interesting. Audience apparently didn't think it was interesting because it debuted in March and closed by June. Dang. So, that summer, he gets his first film role. Because somebody had seen him in this show and some of his other stuff, and they were like, great. Um, he's good. We should get him on uh, in a film. Um, so he's in an 
uh, a shimp Howard comedy called Art Trouble. Um, it's listed as an unbilled appearance, so basically he's like he's not listed in the cast, right. but he was in it. Um, and then by 1935, he signs a seven-year contract with Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Mayer, I've never known how to say that. MGM. Either. He signs yeah. a contract with MGM. Nice. Um, a talent scout, Bill Grady, had okay. been basically tracking his career since he saw him perform at Princeton, huh. and he made this happen. Nice. So his first big, like, Hollywood role is a very minor appearance in the Spencer Tracy film, um, The Murder Man, which is in 1935. Um, MGM doesn't really see him as a leading man, which is so interesting to think about now because he's yeah. one of Hollywood's most famous leading men. Yeah. Um, so his agent at the time, who's also a good friend of his, Leland Hayward, starts, um, he decides that the best thing would be to get him loaned out to studios. And we've mm-hmm. talked about this many times before on the podcast. This is how the system really worked. Back then, you would sign with a studio, and then sometimes that studio would loan you out to other studios so you could make their films. Um, if the studio doesn't want to loan you out, you only make films for that studio. Right. So he starts getting loaned out. Um, He has a small role in another MGM film, which is actually a pretty big hit. Um, Rosemary, it's a musical, but he has a very small role in it. Um, But that kind of gets him cast in lots of other films that year because he's good in it. Right. Um, In 1936, he's cast in seven other movies. Wow. So that's where we are in terms of the amount of films he's making this early in his career. (laughs) Um, He also gets a lot of help in his career from one of his friends from the university players, Margaret Sullivan, who's like one of his very close friends. Um, She campaigns for him to be her leading man in a universal picture um, called Next Time We Love. Um, She rehearses with him a lot. And it really kind of boosts his confidence as feeling like he can really star in a film. Mm -hmm. And it helps him to um, kind of create his on-screen persona that we all kind of grow to love later on with all of his kind of mannerisms. You know, he's like... Where's the money? (laughs) Yeah. He's tall and lanky. And that wasn't really what Hollywood's leading man was at the Uh -uh. time. So... He had to be kind of more unique in order to get these right. roles. I don't know. When I think of him and his charm, I always think of his voice. I think it's very Oh, his voice is and, incredible. Yeah. His voice is incredible. I um, see that as so much of his persona is yeah, his voice. But that wasn't really like the trend. I know. When he was starting, you know? Yeah. But that movie that he is in um, with Sullivan is a big box office success. Um, He gets a lot of positive reviews. He gets noticed by a lot of critics and a lot of executives at his studio who then are like, oh, maybe we could cast him in more stuff. Yeah, maybe we could give him more roles. Yeah. We've got him. Might as well use him. So, again, glossing over a couple things here. He does get a lot more roles throughout the late 30s. He's still loaned out to other studios and he gets a lot of good reviews. Um, MGM, though they like him a little better now, still doesn't really want to cast him as a leading man. It's like, all right. 
Um, but then in 1938, he gets what we would probably call his big break, right? Mm-hmm. And he is cast in Frank Capra, who, of course, we'll come back to. Um, Frank, Frank Capra's You Can't Take It With You. Mm-hmm. And he stars in this with Gene Arthur. Um, Frank Capra had been really impressed with Jimmy Stewart in his past roles. And he was looking for a new type of leading man in his own films. Sure. Okay. So he wants something different than the industry standard for a leading man. Um, I liked this quote. It says, according to Capra, Stewart was one of the best actors ever to hit the screen, understood character archetypes intuitively, and required little directing. I can totally see that. Agreed. Um, this film, You Can't Take It With You, becomes the fifth highest grossing film of that year and wins the Academy Award for Best Picture. Wow. So it's his, definitely his big Really is a break. Yeah. And then in 1939, he works with Frank Capra again, and also Gene Arthur, his co-star in the last film, um, with Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which is one of his most classic films. Huge. He is so good in it. If you've never seen Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, I don't care if you're, like, interested in the story. It is worth watching for Jimmy Stewart. He's so good in it. Um... It becomes the third highest grossing film of that year. Um, he wins the New York Film Critics Circle Award, and he gets his first nomination for the Academy Award for Best Actor for that yes. role. Um, in 1940, he stars opposite Katherine Hepburn in the comedy The Philadelphia Story, another one of his, you know, more famous roles. Mm-hmm. Um his performance in this earns him his only um, Academy Award in a competitive category, which we'll touch on. I'll talk more about what that means a little bit okay. later. Um, he wins for Best Actor, and he beats out one of his best friends from, like, his early days of acting, Henry Fonda. Oh, wow. And he's not the lead in this movie. Wow. <laughs> He's like the feature, you know, they, we'd call it now probably like a featured actor. You know? uh-huh. He's not the male lead in this film, but he wins wow. it for best actor. And he says something like, um, you know, I I don't know if my performance was better than Henry's, but like, I kind of feel like they were maybe making it up to me for not winning. And <laughs> for, the, for Mr. Smith <laughs> Mr. goes to Smith, Washington. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's his that's, only... I mean, that's why I think Leo got the Oscar for Revenant, to be quite honest with I mean, you. he's... Of his roles, it's not his greatest, First but... of all, he is very good in that film. However, if you were gonna do a makeup Oscar for him, it literally could have happened at any time. Yeah. Because he should have won for Gilbert Grape. Yes. I have a lot of feelings about this, so... Yeah. But I, I, I And he was a child that. in that yeah. film, so... Yeah. <laughs> anyway... <sighs> enough about Leo. I'm going to get worked up. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> he's getting a lot of roles in like the late thirties and the forties. And he's also having some romantic relationships. Of course. He dates Ginger Rogers, who he has sure. co-starred with. Um, and Marlena Dietrich, which he, he's also co-starred with. Of her. course. Of course. We'll get a little more into his personal life later, but just want you to know, like that's what's happening. So Jimmy Stewart becomes the first major American movie star to enlist in the United States Army because he enlists to fight in World War II. Huh. Interesting. 
Um, both of his grandfathers, actually, let me go back a little bit. His great grandfather had fought in the Revolutionary War. Uh Both of his grandfathers had fought in the Civil War and his father had served in the Spanish-American War War and World War I. So long military history in his family. Um, He is at first um, in November of 1940, he's um, rejected because his weight is too low. Just like Captain America. Exactly. Um, But, you know, he bulks up and then in February of 1941, he enlists. Who's here to save the American <laughs> Sorry, I can sing my little Captain America song. Yes, I heard it. Um, he actually had been an amateur pilot before he oh, enlisted. Oh, sure. Okay. So he had a commercial pilot's license. I think it was commercial. He had a pilot's license. And so he knew what he was doing already. Um, so he enlists as a private in the Air Corps on March 22nd, 1941. Um, well, he becomes a private. Um, he's almost 33 at the time, so he's actually over the age limit for aviation cadet training. Um, I don't know what all kind of logistic goes into that. I didn't look. But that's the normal path that they take for commissioning pilots and navigators. Um, but, so he can't do that. So he applies for an Air Corps commission, um... Because he's A, a college graduate, and B, a licensed commercial pilot. So he applies for a commission to basically, like, skip all that stuff. Sure. He gets it, and he becomes a second lieutenant on January 1st, 1942. Um, I'm not going to talk a ton about his time in the war, but I do want to touch on a few things. Um, During his enlistment, he is still under contract with MGM. Uh, so he does continue to make some public appearances, but only in association with the Army Air Forces. He's he's just Captain America. Yeah. So essentially, he kind of just gets used for like pro-war propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. Like Captain America. <laughs> yeah. So they schedule him on network radio um, for in a program called We Hold These Truths, which is a celebration of the Bill of Rights. Yep. She's singing Hamilton. I yep. see she's dancing. Yep. yep. Um, it was broadcast a week after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Oh, okay. So really got a lot of attention. Right. Um, he also appears in a first motion picture unit um, short film. Now there's something I'm interested in. The yes. film units of the army. Oh my yeah. God. Fascinating. So he appears in a short film from them called Winning Your Wings, which is for recruiting airmen. Sure, of course. This is nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary in 1942. Huh. They show it in movie theaters starting in late May of 42, and it results in 150,000 new recruits. That's fascinating. I know. It's a, that's a wild amount of people. Wow. Interesting. So they, I mean, they did a good job of using him yeah, I want to see that purposes. now. I'm very curious about that documentary. Like, I wonder what it's like. I feel like you have to be able to find it somewhere. Certainly. Because shouldn't it be archival footage at least from the, the from being film a part academy? Of the, the, or not not even just for the academy, for being a first motion picture unit. Yeah, but piece. you can't always find those, That's I true. feel like. I don't That's know. True. Interesting. 
So by the end of World War II, Jimmy Stewart is a colonel in the Army Air Corps. He's fully decorated as the result of 20 combat missions that he has flown over Germany um, as a leader of a squadron of B-24s. He is awarded um, two distinguished flying crosses and the Croix de Guerre, um, and among other things. But those are like the major ones. Mm-hmm. Um. After World War II ends, he does stay um, in the Air Force Reserves for a while. So his military career technically continues. And in the reserves, he rises to the rank of Brigadier General. And eventually, I mean, this is to skip ahead a little bit, but eventually President Reagan awards him the Medal of Freedom, which, of course, is the highest award that you can get um, if you're a civilian in the the U.S. So that's like after his retirement and stuff. So he was he had a pretty strong military career. Yeah, that's so interesting. So. After the war. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He thinks about going back to Pennsylvania to run the family store, um, partially because his agent, who he had been with before, had left the business and sold all of his clients, sold them, sold their contracts, um, to the talent agency Music Corporation of America, or MCA. But he decides that he's going to stick with acting. He doesn't renew his contract with MGM, but he does sign a deal with MCA, the talent agency. Right. Um, Those are similar acronyms. Right. Um, And the first post-war film that he is in is Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life in 1946. Wow. I did not know that that was his first post-war film. It was also Frank Capra's first post-war film. Interesting. Huh, I did not know that. I guess it so, makes sense. I feel like there's just that sort of, oh, we've yeah. just been through it kind of melancholy to the tone of the whole thing. And Yeah, yeah there definitely I, is. Yeah, I think that tracks. And it's a lot about families not being able to, like, afford their lives anymore. And right. So, sure. yeah, it definitely totally. makes sense. Yeah. So... Kind of a flop at the box office. That is so wild. <laughs> well, it's like kind of successful, but the general public doesn't really love it. It fails to recover its production costs. That and that is, and that's not good. No, no. Um, a lot of critics find the movie to be too sentimental, which, like, okay. But also, it's <laughs> it only really gets that sentimental right at the end. The rest I know of that's it true. So well, I don't know. I don't know, because it's a lot of sentimentality about his father and the business and his brother. Sure, sure. You know. Um, But despite all of that, it is nominated for five Academy Awards. So the Academy liked it. Um, it, Jimmy Stewart gets his third Best Actor nomination for it. He does not win. Wild. Bonkers. Um, And after the film is released, Frank Capra's production company goes into bankruptcy. Wow. And it's just so wild to think about because, like, we're we're celebrating an anniversary for it this year. That's how popular it is. Lego the, had a competition, and somebody made a an "It's a Wonderful Life" Lego set to be entered in wow. this competition. Like, it's so huge, and it's widely considered to be like the best Christmas movie ever made. Right. And when it came out, 
it was not that successful. It's wild. That's so yeah. wild. This is interesting to me, too, because we just talked about Big Crosby, where, like, certain aspects of this movie are kind of autobiographical about Jimmy in the same way that parts yeah. of um, White Christmas are the same way about Bing. You know, there's just, like, sure. a lot Although- of the actor reflected in the character. And not all of it, obviously, but there are, like, little bits and pieces that kind Although- of... It's less intentional with this film because he was not involved with like the writing or production of it. Right, but I am right? also so, I'm, I'm also sure that Capra had him in mind when he was yeah yeah creating probably. the story. So yeah. there's there's I just think it's interesting. Yeah, it definitely is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of my favorite movies. We watch it every single Christmas day. We get up, we open our presents, we put it on, we take and we it out. all nap to it. It's great. We <laughs> and all then sleep. we wake up we, to it too. <laughs> we all sleep through the middle years, and then we wake up when he's in crisis. It's awesome. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, you like watch him as a kid, and then you, and fall then you watch him. You watch him meet Mary. And, and, you, then and you sometimes you don't watch him meet Mary. Sometimes you're usually, out by meeting Mary. Well, I guess he he already knows Mary, but right. he reconnects with Mary. Yeah. I usually make it to um, them singing together yeah. outside the house. And then um, I usually fall asleep like when his dad has the stroke. And then I wake up again and it's like, oh, he's just met Clarence. Yeah. And you think, you would think, oh, that's like the crux of, that's like the, the high point of the, th- that's the big conflict, right? You would think, oh, maybe she's only been asleep for about 20 minutes. No. No, there's only about no, 20 no. minutes left of the film at that point. <laughs> Which is wild because the whole movie builds to that. And then it's just like, and now it's over. It's great. Yeah, I love but it. But it's so great. And you, there's not a bad part of that movie to wake up to. You wake up and you're happy to be waking up to this part of the film. Yeah. You're like, great. You're I like, love oh, this yeah. part. <laughs> I love every part. Every time I wake up to a part of the movie, I'm like, oh, I love this part. No matter what part it is. Right. Anyway, so... That's about all I have on It's a Wonderful Life, really, <laughs> because this is not an episode about the movie. It's about right. him. So, but um, yeah, one of my faves. <clears throat> so, in the same year, 1946, he returns to making radio dramas. Um, and he also keeps working on films um, until like the mid 1950s. Um, and then, uh, kind of late in the 40s, in 1947, he actually makes a comeback to Broadway. Huh. He stars in Mary Coyle Chase's Harvey, um, which we'll come back to because this is like a very important role for him. Um, He actually is there replacing the original star, Frank Fay, because Frank Fay is on vacation. So he's filling in for him. And he's so successful in it that Frank Fay comes back and finishes the run. And then they cast Jimmy Stewart in the next run. Oh, yeah, that happens on Broadway a lot, I think. Yeah, so he, it happened to him. Yeah. Um, Also in 1947, he goes to a Christmas party. Oh, there we go. There's a little more Christmas for us. Yeah, and he meets actress and model Gloria Hattrick McLean. He has crashed this party, (laughs) and he is very drunk, and he does not make a good impression. Excellent. Um, But about a year later, a mutual friend invites them both to a different party and they hit it off there and they start dating. Nice. And then on August 9th of 1949, they're married. Um, She has two sons from a previous marriage, Ronald and Michael, um, and Jimmy adopts them. Uh Uh-huh. 
Um, and then they together they have twin daughters, Judy and Kelly. Oh, okay. So <clears throat> in the 1950s, um, he Jimmy Stewart starts starring in westerns. Excellent. And this is a very big like rejuvenation of his career wildly different from what he's been doing yes but wildly successful oh yeah because i mean hello westerns he he starts working with the director anthony mann and this becomes like a whole era of his career these films with him um his um okay so Remember when we were talking about Bing Crosby and we were talking about how, like, the industry was changing around stuff that happened with him? Yes. This is a similar kind of deal. So he has a new agent around this time, Lou Wasserman, and this agent decides to broker a new kind of deal with Universal for Jimmy Stewart. In this deal, Jimmy Stewart doesn't get a fee in exchange for a percentage of the profits. He just gets paid right um and he's also granted a lot of authority to collaborate with the studio on casting and hiring decisions ah for like his other co-stars sure and so because of this he ends up earning about six hundred thousand dollars for the film winchester 73 which is one of his westerns which is a lot more than what he would usually earn Uh um and other stars follow suit they're all like that seems like a good deal and it starts to um really contribute to the downfall of the studio system right so he also was a bit of a trailblazer or his agent was i guess (laughs) but he was a part of that moment you know Mm -hmm. it takes getting a big name like that to agree to something like that to make that work so absolutely so, in December of 1950, remember how I said we were going to come back to that play, Harvey? Uh-huh. Okay, so it's adapted for the screen in this sure. year. And he stars in it. Um, and it doesn't get amazing reviews, but it actually is kind of one of his more iconic roles. It's a really interesting story. It's kind of weird. Um, so he is also getting into his kind of weird era at this point now, because I just looked ahead and I yes. see what's coming. So yeah. it's like, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> but it's also like very important to him, this role. So right. it, yeah, it's kind of a weird story. So it is a little bit niche. So I kind of get how, you know, it might not have appealed to audiences. I mean, the main character like has an imaginary friend that is like a rabbit yes so, i know this story oh yes i know exactly what you're talking about yes yeah it is so it, but it's like one of his better known roles now it's it's i mean it's yeah it's hugely famous yes him in this film and it earns him his fourth academy award nomination and his first ever golden globe nomination yeah okay so then Throughout the 50s, he starts working with Alfred Hitchcock. Here we go. Which is why you said it's kind of more of his weird period. Yeah. (laughs) Because, oh boy, are some of these films odd. Yeah, they sure are. So in 1954, he stars in Rear Window. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what that is about, it's like, he it's complicated. He, like, witnesses a 
am I talking about the right one where he thinks he witnesses a murder? And he's like, it's anyway, um, he's great in it. Um, and then I get them all mixed up because of that one episode of Psych where the whole thing is themed off of different Hitchcock movies and they all mesh together. So in in my brain, they all mesh together. And And like, I know the exact scene that's based on Rear Window, but I lose it in everything else. Sitting up in the window. Yeah, Yeah. it's this, it's this one where he, he's like in a wheelchair and he, yes, yes. out of commission because he broke his leg so he's like watching all of his neighbors out of his window and he thinks he witnesses a murder um anyway um but yeah so um they actually jimmy stewart and hitchcock actually form a corporation called patron inc to produce this film so they're like in business together is this this the original patreon (laughs) missing a letter i know um Okay, we'll come back to Hitchcock here in a second, but I just wanted to throw this in because it's chronological. In 1957, he stars in the film The Spirit of St. Louis, which is so good. And he plays his childhood hero, Charles Lindbergh. That's delightful. Who, by the way, I'll definitely have to do an episode on because there are some twists and turns in that story, my friend. Yeah. Okay, so um, I'm not going to talk... about like all of his Hitchcock stuff because again he starred in so many movies I can't fit them all in um but in 1958 he does his last film with Hitchcock and it's Vertigo sure which famously also stars Kim Novak amazing um and the the film again gets mixed reviews and is not a big hit at the box office and Hitchcock actually kind of blames Jimmy Stewart for the lack of success here because he's like, well, he's probably too old to convincingly be Kim Novak's love interest, which is true and definitely a critique that the film got. And also is true in most of Hollywood. Yeah, but, but it was like noticeable. It was noticeable because he, Jimmy Stewart is 50 by this point. He's wearing a, a, silver hairpiece mm. so it's like okay like he he's like wearing hair you know yeah. and because of this when hitchcock is um casting north by northwest which is from 1959 um he casts carrie grant instead right now carrie grant is four years older than jimmy stewart but he photographs way younger yeah so it's but like, what are our like, standards hey, buddy, here? You went in the wrong <laughs> yeah. direction. But he looks younger, so I guess I get but it. But you, but still, that, no, I know. But those poor women. I agree with you. Uh, but what I'm saying is, I know. what our audience is looking at. Yes, right. It looks better. Yes, that partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, and later on, Jimmy Stewart is like, yeah, he was probably right. Like I was definitely too old to be. It didn't look great. Right. So that's fair. So in 1960, um, Jimmy Stewart is awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Excellent. Um, he's also a lifelong Republican. That's unfortunate. So in 1964, he actually com- campaigns for the conservative presidential candidate Barry Goldwater, which not super successful. Uh-huh. Um, he also supports the vietnam war Bummer. which is not great um despite the fact that his son ronald who he had adopted when he got married actually died in the vietnam war bummer yeah but he was like no 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 he didn't die in vain like this was a good decision and it's bummer. like mm, yikes um but i found this interesting after the assassination of 
Senator Robert Robert Kennedy in 1968. He actually um, issues a statement along with Charlton Heston, Heston, Kirk Douglas, and Gregory Peck um, calling for the support of Lyndon B. Johnson's Gun Control Act of 1968. It was was different then. Well, it's also, it's almost like actual war veterans um, don't like there just being guns wherever. Sure, It's almost like they understand the horrors of war and stuff. Yeah. What a concept. Anyway, um, well, yeah, so I'm not, again, not going to go totally into, like, his politics stuff, because really it's just that he, like, campaign for a lot of he was he was a public persona and so people wanted his support and that's just how it he supported ronald reagan that see now that was unfortunate (laughs) yeah but you know what not surprising no not because he's a conservative so it's not not surprising. surprising um but throughout the 60s and 70s he also continues to star in lots of westerns and lots of other movies um, he was actually considered for the role of Atticus Finch in the oh. film adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird, but he turned it down because he thought the story was too controversial. Oh, but he would have been so good in that. I know. That's I know. a bummer because he would have been really good. In that. I know. He would have been amazing. Um, he also has his own television series in 1971 called The Jimmy Stewart Show. Yes, it of didn't course. last very long, but it was very um, good. Yeah, and um, he also played the re- recurring role of Hawkins um, in, like, this Mystery of the Week series by yeah. the same name. It also didn't last super long. Um, okay, so gonna just hit some more bullet points here because we're getting to later in his career now. Um for his contributions to Western films, he's inducted into the Hall of Great Western Performers at the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum in Oklahoma City in 1972. That's so funny because I just don't think of him as a Western star. There's just not what but my he brain is. It's he just not so what my brain is. goes to when I think of him. Like I think of you it's think wonderful of the old life black and, and white. Well, and and the Jimmy Stewart show and. Yeah. The Mr. Hitchcock music, movies. Oh, okay. the, that's like what I associate him with most. And so the Westerns just like, I know he was in so many of them, but it just skips right over my brain. Well, you're not like a Western fan. I'm not. Like, I'm not. like our mom likes Westerns. Yes. So she is probably a fan of a lot of his Westerns. Right. But I right. don't know. I haven't really talked to her about it. But she likes Westerns. I'm not like a person who watches them. Right. It's just not the thing that I associate him with. Right. Um, he also, around this time in his career, starts making uh, pretty uh, periodic appearances on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and he starts sharing poems that he had written, oh. which he just, like, did one time, and and then they kept doing it when he would show up. Have you and seen he, the video of him reading the poem about his yes. dog? It makes me weep. Yes, of course I have. It's so And so beautiful. he kind of, like accidentally becomes a poet yeah because good at it all of those are later compiled into a short collection called jimmy stewart and his poems they're very good yeah they are um so he acts a little bit more throughout the 70s and then um he kind of he kind of retires in the in the 80s okay um, he has offered a couple of roles, and he does star in a couple of, like, TV movies. But he's not, like, the box office guy anymore. No. 
Um, and then his last film performance is actually voicing Sheriff Wiley Burp in the animated film An American Tale Five Goes West in 1991. Huh. I did not favorites. know that. That is so yeah. interesting. Um, he receives a lot of like honorary film industry awards. So he gets an American Film Institute Award in 1980, a Silver Bear in 1982, Kennedy Center Honors oh, in 1983, and an Academy Honorary Award in yeah. 1985. Oh, yeah. So this is what I referred to earlier as like, it's not like a competitive category. Um, it's right. An honorary okay. Award. Yes. Um, and he also gets the National Board of Review and Film Society of Lincoln Center's Chaplin Award in 1990. Um, I thought this was really interesting. So the, I'm just going to read this little bit of the quote here. The honorary Oscar was presented by former co-star Cary Grant, um, quote, for his 50 years of memorable performances, for his high ideals, both on and off the screen, with respect and affection of his colleagues. Um, and in addition, Stewart received the highest civilian award in the U.S., the President Medal of Freedom, quote, for his contributions in the fields of the arts, entertainment, and public service in 1985. Wow. An accomplished life. Yes. And on top of that, he was smart about his money, which is not <laughs> always a given. He had a lot of investments. Um, he invested in real estate, oil wells. Southwest Airways, which oh, is what wow. it was called then. Um, and he was on a lot of like board, like corporate boards. See, this is where he's using that Princeton degree to, yeah. him, to its full effect. True. Because he becomes a multimillionaire. Wow. Like he was rich. Wow. He was rich. I mean, you can't be in that many movies and not be. Yes, you can. Well, I mean, I guess, yeah, if you, you just squander don't, away your, your money. money. Yeah, you're yes. right. Yes. Because it happens to a lot of other actors, yeah. especially in his era. Yeah. Um, he is also big into philanthropy, of course. He serves as the national vice chairman of entertainment for the American Red Cross's oh, fundraising sure. campaign um, for wo wounded soldiers in Vietnam. Sure. Um, he donates actually a lot of money to his hometown for, like, just improvements and restorations. Uh -huh. Um, there is an annual charity event called the Jimmy Stewart Relay Marathon Race, which was held annually since 1982, and it has raised millions of dollars for the Child and Family Development Center at St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica, California. Nice. Um, he was also, I just thought this was interesting, a lifelong supporter of scouting. Of having course he was. Of course second, he was. Yeah. Having been a second class scout when he was young. Um, he was a scout leader as an adult, and he was the recipient of the Silver Beaver Award from the Boy Scouts of America. That tracks. That makes so much sense. He was not an Eagle Scout, though, which is surprising. Meh. Um... In 1988, he also appears in a hearing in Congress um, because Ted Turner wants to colorize classic black and white films, and he opposes this. So he huh. goes and um, testifies, I guess, um, and he says, quote, the coloring of black and white films is wrong. It's morally and artistically wrong in these 
profiteers should leave our film industry alone. Huh. So he really believes in, like, the artistic value of keeping the films how they were made. Sure, basically. which I, t- I totally get. I totally get. Yeah. Um, in 1989, he founded the American Spirit Foundation to, quote, apply entertainment industry resources to developing innovative, approach- innovative approaches to public education and to assist in the emerging democracy movements in the former Iron Curtain countries. Oh, okay. It's a, uh, let's go spread democracy organization. Yeah, yeah basically. Um, so on February 16th of 1994, uh, his wife, Gloria, dies of lung cancer. Um, it He becomes pretty reclusive after that. Sure. He would really he's only... He's much older at this point, too. And, and his health is not great at this yeah. point, either. Um, he'd really only come out to, like, visit with his kids and, right. like, eat. But he mostly just, like, stayed in his room. Um, in December of 1995, he's hospitalized after a fall. And then in December of the next year, he's due to have the battery in his pacemaker replaced, but he opts not to. Sure. Um, so in February of 1997, he's hospitalized for an irregular heartbeat. Um, and then on June 25th of that year, um, a thrombosis forms in his right leg, which leads to a pulmonary embolism about a week later. And then on July 2nd of 1997, Jimmy Stewart dies of a heart attack caused by that embolism. Um, and he's 89 at the time of his death. Mm. He's buried at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale, Glendale, California. Um, the service had full military honors and three volleys of musketry. Okay, and sure. And over 3,000 people attended his his memorial wow. service. It's so nice when these end with the actor having lived a nice long life. <laughs> yes, Because it's agree. so rare that they yeah. just got to like... Do lots of cool stuff in their lifetime and just, like, pass away when they were old <laughs> and yeah. not have some tragic end. And or... get to live out their life, like, with their family. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he did lose a son in the Vietnam War. Right. But he and his wife got a long life together. Yes. Which also isn't always given. Right. Um, He does have several memorials in his hometown of Indiana, Pennsylvania. So if you're ever visiting the area, you can check them out. On May 20th of 1995, which was his 87th birthday, the Jimmy Stewart Museum was opened there. It's near his childhood home and the store that his dad owned. Uh Um, And there's a post office named after him there, as well as like the local airport. Oh, that's nice that the airport is named after him. Yeah. I I love that. that. I love that. I had to include that. Yeah, so that's Jimmy Stewart. What an interesting dude. He did have a really interesting life. He, um, you know, he had a wonderful life. Oh, I hated boy. that I did that. I couldn't even get it all the way out. She couldn't even finish the My sentence. brain oh, said it, and boy. I went, you have to. You have to. It's terrible. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> I apologize deeply. You're definitely my sister. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> Cool. So that's James Stewart. <laughs> Feels weird to call him that. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I I think he's interesting. There's obviously, like I said, a lot more. Like he has a crazy filmography. It's like it's wild. Um, how many films he was in. Like I physically am not sure how a person makes that many movies. <laughs> um, but I guess movie making was probably not quite as time intensive as it is now. Yeah, it's different. It was different. 
Um, yeah. So it's just like amazing. He worked with a lot of icons and extremely talented. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. Yeah. One of my favorite actors for sure. Yeah. Well, that was kind of a longer one. Sorry. <laughs> I did cut it down. Oh, yeah. A lot. <laughs> and it was still kind of long. It's fine. Um, but yeah, that's our last that's our last episode of the year. Wow, it sure is. <laughs> it's our last episode of 2021. Good lord. What? Good lord. I had a call with someone at work today that I I'm going on vacation for a couple weeks just for context listeners. Um and I had a call with someone today that I was like, "I won't I'm not going to talk to you again until next year and it will be 2022." <laughs> disgusting it's not the new year part that's weird it's the 2022 part because i feel like it was just 2019 i don't know what's going on yes 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 so um we are probably going to be doing a new year special that's what we told you that's what we're planning for unless we for some reason are just like we can't figure out what we're we're doing because we haven't gotten there yet um but we plan on it a new year's special um and yeah, after that we're gonna need some we're gonna need some topics for twenty twenty two. Yeah. Wow, I can't believe it. We've been doing this podcast for what three three years? Now? Our three year was in October. Yeah. And we'll hit a hundred episodes next year. Yes, we will. Absolutely wild. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't wanna get too like end of the year reflective or anything, but thank you all so much for listening yeah. all these all this time. I mean, it's amazing. Um yeah, so if you guys have any topic suggestions that you want to be, like, on the list for 2022, we already have some, you know, on our own list. But if there's anything you want us to talk about, um, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. I almost said it wrong, even though I've said this a million times. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at RTTPod. We're also on Facebook if you just search the name of the podcast. Um, We would really love it if you leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. Um, And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at The Real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Wow, 2021 in the books, baby. Done did it. Done did it. Well, well, we'll see you guys next year. (laughs) (laughs) That one never gets old. And until next time. Remember that time.